0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: did you get the report back on what they thought
2: <laughs> no <laughs> eventually it showed up and i mean he wasn't kidding it was a shoebox wow and it looked i mean it, it wasn't even it wasn't even like clear packaging tape it was brown packaging tape. Perfect. it looked like
1: cocaine something calories.
3: out of south america <laughs> yeah
1: something that i guess that i guess everything that comes from south america is packaged the same way yeah. and we're here episode 5001 if <laughs> you're following along
3: i don't know if i'm gonna keep numbering them that way but
1: no, yeah. you don't have Welcome to. Welcome back.
3: Yep. Welcome back. Today,
1: we have a very special guest. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself however
2: you want the people to know you. Oh, that's scary. Uh, I'm Graham, and I am the person crazy enough to try to start a rum company with a couple fishing friends having no idea how the alcohol industry works. That's a great opening.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True <laughs> There's story. foreshadowing in that. Yeah. <laughs> and with that in mind, this episode is powered by Frigate Reserve, Rum. Today, we are drinking on the 21-year, which is quite delicious. It is very on, good. Learn more about it. And I think this episode is also brought to you by Whiskey and Whitetails. Whether you're at home, at a hunt club, or a strip club, we got whatever you need to uh, <laughs> get the night done. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, Graham, we uh, chatted a couple weekends ago, I guess, and um, and I got a lot of the deets of the story and it was just too good to not put it on a recording and let other people hear it. And I purposely haven't spoiled anything. I haven't told Gus anything. Gus knows nothing,
2: so you could start wherever you want. But yeah, and, and story it is. And uh, you know, as, as I told you, we we kind of have to uh, set the legal uh, disclaimer early on. Uh, some of these stories might have slight exaggeration to them, just so uh, in case anybody gets super serious about coming to us and saying, well, you can't do that and you can't do that, that's the part I was joking about.
1: Yep. <laughs> this is
2: blanket <laughs> legal statement. This is hyperbole, and
1: uh, we're going to talk about pirate ships and was there murder? No, no murders. No
3: murders. Any <laughs> any good alcohol or liquor, as we've learned, uh whether it be whiskey, rum, gin, vodka, has a good story that goes along with the brand. So some of it's true, some of it's not, and we'll leave it up to the audience to figure out which is which. Exactly.
1: Elijah Craig claims to be the father of bourbon uh, because he, ha- he was a traveling preacher that carried fish and oysters in his barrels and uh, decided he was poor, so he wanted to make bourbon, and s- or whiskey rather. So he ended up using fire to burn that smell out of it, and that's what created bourbon. But hmm. that's one of 10 stories that also claimed they started bourbon. So the this uh, this industry that the whiskey folks are all going to realize that stories are stories, and uh, a lot of them are based on truths, half truths, or in this case, maybe total lies. But either way, this is the story. Hey, as long as as long as no police
2: officers come after us for this, we're perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, that's easy. If you're a cop, stop listening. <laughs> Done. <laughs> I told you. <him> to. <laughs>
1: so it started uh, with a dream. Not really. It started with a fireplace.
2: Yeah. Oh, what a, I guess i would never really been had to think about exactly where to start, but, um, you know, probably backing up to, to kind of who we are is probably the good starting point because we're, we're a couple fishing friends. Um, and you know, you see so many, so many businesses get started by business people, but we were all kind of doing our own thing. I was guiding, um, One of our partners, Oliver, had a couple fishing lodges. Our other partner, Clint, had some lodges. And uh, the other kind of rounding out person, a gentleman by the name of Flip Pallet, he'd been in the fishing industry his entire life. He was a guide. He had one of the most successful fishing shows to ever exist. And probably the only guy who can be mentioned in the same sentence as Ernest Hemingway, who's still living. And uh, we just over over the past decade, just we're friends. We, we uh, always came across each other's paths. Uh, Clint and Oliver both had lodges in the Bahamas. that was a, a place dear to my heart. And uh, they introduced me to Flip. Uh, and we just kind of all became friends. And uh, Clint is a 13th generation white Bahamian. And this guy is he's kind of like a shaman. And he got me into rum and cigars. And you can, you know, there's a couple couple moments in life you can look back on and say that's where everything changed. And I can remember that changing point with Clint. Um, I had gone over and I was I was doing some filming with a buddy of mine, a, a bone fishing film, and um, stayed with Clint. Uh, everybody else departed. I missed my flight. I said, "Do you mind if I stay a couple extra days? I can't get another flight out." And he goes, "That's no problem. Stick around and." this poor guy was was running this lodge, guiding people, cooking. He was he was awake about 22 and a half hours a day. And wow. so I would just kind of look around and, you know, I would see his, his boat outside and, you know, a, a bucket and some lower unit oil next to it. And I would just go change it knowing he just hadn't gotten to it and just kind of was doing these sort of things. And um, that was very helpful at the time. But one of these evenings, the power went out, as it usually did down in the Bahamas. And I said, well, what do you want to do, Clint? And he goes, do you like rum? And I go, oh, not really. I'm a whiskey guy. And he goes, <laughs> do you smoke cigars? And I said, well, I smoked one on my 18th birthday. And he <laughs> grabbed me and he said, you have a lot to learn Come with me. <laughs> And we sat on his back porch, which is in the lee of this this big squall that was coming through. And he pulled out a bottle of Pirate Cask, the original Pirate Cask, $300 bottle of rum, and a true Cuban cigar. And 90-something percent of the Cuban cigars in the Bahamas are fake, but Clint actually imported the cigars and knows all the Cuban people. And just one of the many wives that he lived. And so we sat there and drank rum, smoked a cigar, and talked life. And that was one of those moments that I knew everything's different from here. Uh, Everything that this guy did was different than how I would have done it. Uh, I probably was a very more straightforward business marketing person. And listening to how this guy was starting this bone fishing lodge was... The complete opposite of everything I would do. I said, you know, where are you going to run ads? Do you have a social media plan? And he goes, no, none of that. And he goes, I don't, I don't understand that. He goes, my, my thought is, is that if I make it so special that when somebody comes here, it's the best thing they've ever done, and they become part of this family, they're going to go tell their closest friends how great it was, and they're they're going to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Why, I, why do I have to concentrate on those other things? Yeah. I want to make it special for them and it blew my mind and fast forwards god now a decade later and if you wanted to go book his entire lodge easily a year or two out and still to this day has Uh done no advertising it's incredible maybe a picture here and there in a magazine but i mean nothing just completely unconventional and that that kind of always stuck with me i mean to have somebody open your eyes to something like that and so then I became a rum drinker and uh, keep going through all that and uh, you know this that and the other and and I, I at the beginning of this I said I was I was a guide but I'd guided about six years and was kind of kind of feeling the uh, the burnout phase coming. Mm-hmm. So I jumped into finance. Um, God, talk about burnout! That was really not fun. It it paid the bills, but. I think I had to pay for it with my soul and was kind of always looking for an out. Yeah. And we had this, uh, this night in the Bahamas where it was Clint Oliver flip and myself and a few other people. And we were, we were sitting around their campfire out there. And and for all of us, you know, a, a fire is a very special place where everybody kind of bonds and comes together. And, and I looked around and everybody had a glass of rum, just straight glass, no ice, no mixers, no nothing. But it wasn't a, hey, I'm gonna pour some rum, do because everybody wants some. It just it just happened. People just went and got it themselves. Yeah. So we started talking. Why don't we know anybody in the rum business? I mean, between Oliver, who is probably the most connected person I've ever met in my life. And Flip, who's been around for at least 120 years, you know, how 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 do we not know anybody? And not not junk rum, but but good rum. And so that's when the, the idea of man, could we do this? And for about 20 seconds, we thought, let's make rum and let's make it in the Bahamas. And Oliver, who is the most strategic person in mankind, he sat there and he goes, not a chance. He goes, one, we shouldn't do anything in the Bahamas like that. We'll never be able to make it work. A Great idea. is, but it's not going to happen. He goes, why don't we find somebody who's the best possible at making rum and see if they'll let us come into their world and they'll help us. And thank, thank God Oliver said that because uh, we would probably still be fighting that fight to this day. And that was the
1: kind of beginning start. And, and I should have prefaced this in the beginning how this evening, how this evening even came to be. Um, so I don't know how, if it launched out of Charleston or if it was just, I don't know how I found out you lived here or found out that it was something to do with Charleston. I had, I don't know how I figured that out. I saw you put a picture of the bridge up and then I was like, I learned to drive over that bridge. So I (laughs) I knew where you were. (laughs) Okay. I couldn't remember, but I know that, um, we, we had found it Andy. So it had gotten social media. My wife had seen it somewhere. Um, and I don't remember when that was, we discussed last time we talked. But we had seen it somewhere and everybody was saying, if you like if you like rum, no mixers, you gotta try this rum. And it was part of a... Uh, we were just like ah, I will look for it. And we ended up finding it at the liquor store right here across the street from our house. Not across the street, but down the road. Just I don't live across the street from liquor store, <laughs> thankfully. But we walked in there and they had like the full rung. And so I saw the what do we buy first? The twelve? Or the, no the um I don't remember which one we bought first. We'll edit that part out. Yeah. Because <laughs> there isn't. I think we bought the 21. Um, damn, I don't know. We bought one of them. And I tried it. As soon as I tried it, I was like, this is not Captain Morgan's. This is not any kind of rum we've ever had. And um, we bought another one. Maybe we bought the 15. I don't know. Remember how you told me not to uh, linger on my stories? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm lingering. But... I want everybody to know that's that's how this came to be is I tried this rum as a whiskey drinker and I was like, whoa, and I've been preaching about it. And every time I do blind tastings, I bring it with me and I say, just to open your palate a little more, try this rum. Because most people think of rum as party drinks and not necessarily uh, sitting by a campfire and sipping it. And
2: not everybody's had that experience on the back porch to have exactly. their eyes
1: open to good rum. Exactly. So this is our back porch for everybody listening. We're opening your eyes to good rum. So th- I just wanted to throw that in there before we get two down the rabbit hole and they're like who is this guy? Why is he here? That's why.
2: <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, and uh so I guess I guess that was the moment where the idea was born. Um but I- an idea in its infancy at a, at at its smallest amoeba point. And uh so we, we I guess the starting point was what are our three favorite rums? And it was Florida Cognac, El Dorado, and Pirate. And um, you know, we never claim to be anybody that knows anything actually about rum. We don't. We don't have the verbiage of oaky and all these sort of notes. We we don't know. We just we know what we liked. And and those three rums were kind of the ones that we always found uh, found a reason to come back to. And so for about the next six months. Uh, I called any and everybody I could to figure any possible avenue to find a way to get to these guys. And I mean, calling a local liquor store, Hey, where do you get Florida Kanye? And he'd say, Oh, I get it from John, you know, call John. And he says, Oh, well, I get it from this distributor. And, and I, I kept hitting these, these, language barriers where, uh, you know, you encounter Spanish at some point, and I, I speak mm-hmm. less than zero Spanish, and it became it became difficult. Um, but eventually, I, I ended up getting a hold of somebody, uh, and it turns out El Dorado and Pirate are made by the same company out of Guyana. Very, very nice people, but just did not seem like if we were actually going to grow that they had enough uh enough of a reserve to let us do anything. Maybe they did. I don't know. It just it just it didn't seem that way. And uh working the Florida Konya Avenue uh got a hold of some guy and you know trying to explain to these people hey, I don't know anything about alcohol. We're a bunch of fishermen, that doesn't really get you very far down the conversation path. But this this one guy um understood enough and he said ah, fishing I, I get that on the outdoors in America I, I, I kind of understand if you're ever in Panama call this number and I said well at least at least at least you're one of us because what an obscure way to go about this but sure um, so ended up in Panama uh, doing some Marlin fishing and filming a show and uh, called this number and they said perfect we'll send a car and um, ended up getting driven into the into this very industrial zone in Panama City and sat through a two-hour meeting, not understanding a thing of what's happening, learning about vehicle financing and all sorts of things. And uh, ultimately, the the guy goes, well, Don Poncho's here. Would you like to meet him? And I said, that's absolutely fantastic. I, I, I'm so honored. I can't believe this. But may I use the restroom real quick? And uh, so I go in and I Google, you know, who's Don Pancho, and come to find out this guy is the former master distiller of Havana Club and probably one of the most iconic rum people to ever exist. He's been doing this his entire life. He'd probably be our version, like Pappy Van Winkle. Sure. Um, and now I don't want to say the stakes were higher, but it's like, wow, oh, this is for serious. And so I go sit in this room and. Don Poncho doesn't speak a lick of English, and I don't speak any Spanish, as I said. And there's a translator, and and she says, "Well, what do you want the company to be?" And you know, when you think about it, that's that's kind of a loaded question. Um, you know, more of a feel, not a you know, what is the bottle going to look like? What's your marketing plan? But what do you want it to be? Mm-hmm. And and I said, "Well, you know, we're interesting. We're we're a couple friends." We don't necessarily know what the rum path is supposed to be, but we know what we like. And through the people we are around in the outdoor space, uh, you know, we feel like there's something missing. You know, whiskey is a very well-known thing, but, uh, you know, unfortunately good rum, just most people don't know about. And there's so many bad rums that it's most people just can't go into it and they kind of need to have their hand held. It's it's like going into hunting or fishing. You don't just grab a gun and go into the woods. You you kind of need that fatherly or grandfatherly figure, somebody to actually walk you in and right. and, and kind of take you in. And we said, We think we can do that. We've already been doing it with other rums. So, you know, we're just gonna see if we can do something that's our own little project. And Don Pancho just kind of kind of shrugged his shoulders and and didn't really think much of it, and so he winds up about probably thirty different rums, and uh, you know just kind of motions to you know well how do you feel? And I mean this is enough rum. If you drank it all, you were you were gonna die there. <laughs> and um, so smell one, and just you know what's say this is way way too fruity. You know it's it's just now it's not even I don't even I don't even know, but it's 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 just nowhere nowhere near taste one and would say it's just sweet. This 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 tastes like American junk rum. And I got to one and I tasted it. And I tasted it again. And I put it down and I said, that's it. And he, he looked at the translator and she said, What do you mean? And I said, I don't need to try anymore. Um I you know, on on behalf of everybody involved, these guys that taught me rum. That's it. That's, that's what we feel rum should be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need anything else. Whatever that is, and I'm. I, you know, please take no offense if, if that's the worst one, but that's just how we feel. Yeah. And uh, Don Poncho cracked a smile, and it turns out he understood English perfectly and just didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> and he goes, that's my rum. It's the only rum I've ever put my name on. That's a 30-year, $500 bottle of rum. I will open the reserves for you and make you anything that you want.
0: No oh, shit. And
2: said, "Well, that." <laughs> and he he laughed, and he goes, "I'll get close." So uh, that's pretty much the twenty one year. Uh, wow, really? To, to this day, yeah. Um, and then you know, after that, there was there was a lot more refining that came on. Uh, you know, flip came down, and um, flip really dialed in the flavor. And flip had actually served uh, in the army in Panama. Uh, and has lots of connections to Cuba and Don Pancho and Flip they hit it off and had a two hour conversation in Spanish. I have no clue to this day what they talked about, but they probably they, you probably me, <laughs> but they seemed they seemed very happy. Um, but that was that was the start of it. Uh, that was when we said, "Wow, you know we've we've got some juice here yeah let's uh let's take it a little further down the path and little little did we know that was just the beginning of the nightmare. It's just it, to re say that again, Don Poncho
1: would be kind of like our Pappy Van Winkle. So this would be like going to a Buffalo Trace distillery or Sazerac, sitting down with some man that you don't know, but you know he's famous. He pours you some stuff, you taste it and say, That's delicious. And he goes, That's family reserve. And then he gives it to you. So like this is a this is a big deal in anything, in anything in life, when someone is a master curator, creator of something, and they give you full reign of it. So it's just—it's no wonder I liked it so much. My refined palate. That's right. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, and so that's everybody's like, "Oh, that's a good story." It's like, well, that's where, like I said, that's where that's, the night—that's where the nightmare began. That's where it started. So from that point forward, it gets wild.
2: Yeah. Uh, if, if if I could. If I had known then what I know now, I probably would have stopped and said, "This is this is as pleasant as it's going to get. Let's just stop right here." Um. So next, next came bottle manufacturing. How hard can that be? Um, oh boy, was I wrong. Um. So once once we got the juice, um, you know, for the for the business side of it, that's where you know have to have to pull some capital together and you know, try to forecast, okay, this is, you know, I, forecasting something you have no idea about it. It'd be like me trying to tell you what the weather's like on Venus in the spring. Like, I have no idea. Right. Um, so, you know, did the best, did the best we could. And uh luckily we had two great financial guys that were, one was a close friend of Oliver's and one was a close friend of Clint's. And um, they put this money in knowing they would probably never see it again, but you know, we're, we're eager to be behind something and to thank them to this day for that is amazing. Um, and so with the bottle, you know, we wanted it to be something unique and this goes very much back to Clint who, you know, as I said, it's, it's gotta be right. And it was so tempting to just put it in a regular bottle and say, Hey, let's do it. You know, let's, let's get it out there and let's, you know, the product's so good it will sell itself. But we we wanted to have a longer vision on it. And you know, it's how many how many times do people get to start their own something with no committee oversight, with no board, with right. no venture capitalist? I mean, when yep. it's you and a couple friends and you get to do whatever, whatever you, want. you want. And yes. like, so let's let's really make it ours. So, it's all
1: mine. That's the
2: dream. Yeah. So uh Clint, as I said, a Bahamian. Uh, he found a intact rum bottle from what we dated was the late 1600s, okay. um, and he found it 20 or 30 years ago on the beach, perfectly settled after a storm between the rocks. It looks like somebody had just set it there, and the amazing thing was the neck was intact. Uh, and most bottles you find from an old period of time in the Caribbean, the necks are broken because, I mean, truly, a pirate would take his cutlass crack the neck off like you would a champagne bottle. And they're all broken, and they're all broken in the same way. So to find one intact, that bottle went down probably with the cork still in. And so we filled this thing up with water, and it was almost 750 milliliters perfectly on the nose. And we said, this is it. How hard can this be? Again, very, very wrong. Turns out it's incredibly hard. Um, So took this bottle, dimensions, and pictures, um, and... Prior to computer technology, glass manufacturing used to be very much an artistic form. And I won't I won't say who it is, but there's a very famous French glass manufacturer that makes a lot of the big names out there. And I got into a full-blown argument with him uh, saying, why can't you make this bottle? And he said, nobody can make this bottle. And I was like, well, they made it 400 years ago. Yeah. Pretty sure you can make it. And he says, no, glass does not work like that. Um, so that was one of the funny things um, and then ended up working with a group in South America and learning about how you have to go through this with drawings and engineering and uh, I'll, I'll get into some of that a little bit later but the having the distortion, so I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. Oh, this is my first podcast. Yeah, that's okay. off, I, no, I was, mm-hmm. was going to,
1: cause it's audio. I was going to describe the bottle. It's kind of like, maybe you should describe it just so people know what, uh, what
2: we're talking about. That's a good point. Yeah. Um. So the, 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 the original bottle that Clint found, uh, it's, it, it it's, it looks old. There's nothing about it that's, that's perfect. Uh, It's, it's a very kind of cylindrical long neck they the original ones were called onion glass because they kind of had a shape of an onion and then as they developed better technologies they started to kind of flatten that onion out into a cylinder um but that was that was kind of the iconic rum bottle shape um so kind
1: of looks like a pot still i think most people know what a pot still looks like it kind of looks like like that but not as not as flat it's more bulbous yeah and it's you, it's not crystal clear. It's got waves to it, and some, as you called them, imperfections, which I think they're just a beautiful piece of art. But I just want people to understand kind of what we're talking about, um, since it's audio. But, but yeah, sorry. I'll get I'll get better
2: at this. I promise. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Um, so uh, we worked we worked with this group in South America for a year. I mean, in in hundreds of photos and hundreds of hours talking about what we wanted it to look like and you start with these basic you know drawings and then you do a plastic 3d mold and it it all looks great but when it came to that texture that feel that distortion uh, that was one of the final steps and when they when they mailed me this this thing. And they said, you know, to to make these distortions, we're having to make permanent alterations to the mold. There's no going backwards. And I said, that's great. You know, I feel like any reasonable human being would have a good understanding. We've only spent months talking about this. Huh. They sent me this bottle and I kid you not, it looked like a glass bottle wrapped in bubble wrap. And I called them and I said, I just have to ask her, do you think you nailed it? Do you think this is exactly what I was looking for? And they said, oh, yes, Mr. Graham, it's perfect. It's perfection. And I said, holy shit, you're fired. I I mean, oh my God. And so to, to have to call everybody who has put so much, I don't want to say faith because I don't think anybody actually trusted me at any point during this, but they let me do it because there was really no other option on the table. But to have to call them after a year and say, we're going back to the drawing board. That was, that was a low point in life. That was really not fun. Um, but luckily in that desperation uh, found somebody else uh, who was willing to take the project on and to this day I still don't know how we would survive without them they they went above and beyond Um, and so we we started down the process again and they went through it in in a very very strategic way and you're not, you're not really making a bottle. You're making a hundred different designs and figuring out which one works. Because if you make it a little bit taller or a little bit wider, you know, and, and now you start talking about stacking them in pallets in a shipping container. Well, if you miss one extra level and you're shipping three containers, you've missed a hell of a lot of rum. So, yeah. you know, you, you may be willing to drop down a quarter of an inch on the top to get that extra level. Um the other big thing is, if you notice in the bottom the way it lifts up. Uh, the original glass that Clint found that's where it was hand-blown, and it was, you know, on the shaft. That punt has a very specific ratio to it, where you know, wine bottles go up very high in the bottom. Mm-hmm. But as a bottle gets wider, you can't raise it higher. So we had to, I say we, the people way smarter than us had to figure out how to re-engineer glass to be able to get the bottom to lift up like that. Uh, And then little things that we never would have thought about. We originally wanted to have just like a cork kind of wedged in the top, like a V-shaped cork. Well, when you think about the load on that, when you start stacking, you know, 10 cases high... As that weight's hitting the bottom, one that cork is forcing your bottle to split apart. So you have to engineer the strength to deal with that. So we ran one of those, and it turned out the cork just looked horrible. It just it didn't look right. It looked great on paper, but mm-hmm. when you actually saw it, felt it, it just it wasn't right. So we said, well, let's just do you know a a, a stopper cork or a topper that just you know fl- goes flush, which is what we have now. Well, now your weight load is on a vertical axis, so you have to re-engineer the entire bottle. So it really was 100 different bottles finding the one that rose to the top.
3: So every every minor change you make anywhere on the bottle has a ripple effect, if you will, a cascading effect to the engineering everywhere else. Everywhere. You can't just decide, you know what, everything looks great, but I want... The, the, and for this case, the, the bottle I'm looking at. If you had decided you wanted it two centimeter, the neck two centimeters taller, it would have changed everything else you had to consider. Every, the bottle. Everything changed. I, I would have never thought about thought about that. in
2: in tiny things to to change the taper on the neck. Because if if we can bring it in, you know, one millimeter, we can use a standard cork thing, right? And, but now because of that taper change, it has to be wider or thicker to accommodate weight loads.
3: And I I never would have considered, you know, you're talking about engineering the bottle, but you're also thinking about not just the bottle, but you're thinking three, four, five steps down the distribution process and everything else, which is, man, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. I would have never considered.
2: Yeah. And uh, it it was an unexpected thing. I mean, it, it took us well over two years to have a bottle that was
3: that was perfect. I can also understand now why you go to a liquor store and you look at bottles and 95% of them are all the same shape because exactly. it's, they, they've they found just a, simple, a simple, easy, yep. you know, repeatable process. Exactly. They call
1: a company and say, hey, give me a bottle and they give you a bottle.
2: Yeah, and, and a lot of them, it, when you actually start start looking at them, you know, I, I enjoy looking at things like, like your stack of bottles side by side because a lot of them are actually – pieces of pre-made stuff that they've gone in and they've added little attributes to but it's still stock glass it's they're not having to go through a major development point one of the big giveaways on um on
1: bottles like is people will release bottles and they don't tell you who it is or what it is it's just this is what we're making and a lot of times what it is is they they create a product and that product isn't what it should be. So now they have all this juice. They don't know what to do with it. So they'll spin up a brand to pump that juice out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you can look and see, for instance, uh, one of the bottles we have in there is Chestnut Farms. It's a Total Wine thing. Only Total Wine sells it. They're not allowed to sell it in Kentucky. It's crazy. And you're like, why? So you bring it home and you put it next to a Colonel Taylor bottle. It's the exact same bottle, exact same everything. All of it's the same. The label's different. So the thought is, it's probably Colonel Taylor that wasn't good enough to be Colonel Taylor doesn't really match up side by side taste comparisons. It tastes like other things that they make, but but yeah, the to create your own bottle. I mean, there is no bottle that's that shape, period. I mean, it's a crazy looking bottle and like the respect that I have for you and the company and your people that are helping you with the company to wait this long and to never give up. Cause you could have just taken that weird looking bottle and been like, you know what, screw it. We we gotta put something out but you kept going, you kept sinking money and wasting time and, and for a and reason. wasting money. Yes. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean that's, that was a big opinion
2: for a long time. <laughs> you've achieved perfection. I mean, you're super happy with the ball. I love it. I think it's in, beautiful. In, in the long run, it ended up being, you know, a differentiator. Uh, but, I mean, the, the process of you know, when you see all those little distortions, I mean, the world has moved so much that glass is not distorted. You can shine a laser right. into it and it comes out the other side yep. perfect. So to try to get these guys to loosen their mold tolerances, to make the bottle have a ripple effect, uh, you know, and push the envelope where, you know, normally they may have a 1% discard rate of of bottles and say, look, push it to 7%, but make them look Loose and it was it was really tough and um, do you know
1: how they're made as for instance, I understand there's a mold, but how do they keep the inside? Is there something that goes on the inside they then dump out? uh no, if okay. I did,
2: it probably would not have taken me two years <laughs> to figure
1: this out <laughs> I was just curious because <laughs> I have no idea something I've never considered was the bottle, but the bottle i mean it's it's just like a brand name or anything else yeah. and make sure you tell the story about the the gucci or the whatever that dress the one you told me about the dress.
2: Oh yeah, that Make sure you include that's that. In that's down the road. <laughs> I know, I know, but make sure you include that because that's but, it's so prevalent for this conversation. But, but but to what you just said about brand name, while while I was busy almost bankrupting the company on glass production, I was simultaneously trying to bankrupt the company on finding a name. Um we had lots of great early names. Um and oh, whole, what were they? uh um one of the one of the guys ralph who was the first the the two guys that put money in he was one of them and uh we were on a fishing trip together and i was i was talking with him and i had i had taken an ambien and told him all about this oh you know I've, i've got a relative who was sir francis drake's Uh, Right-hand man by the name of Hawkins, and he had this beautiful family crest with shells on it. And let's do Hawkins and blah blah blah. And the next day, we got up and fishing, and I told him the entire thing all over again. He was like, "What? Are you (laughs) are you an idiot? You told me this last night." (laughs) So Hawkins was a was, and we weren't. We we didn't even have the juice at this point. This this was just a harebrained idea. But then learned using family names that's not actually your current name virtually impossible um we uh the idea of like a banyan tree a big beautiful banyan tree uh that came up but that was nobody knows what that is (laughs) nobody knows what a frigate bird is Uh, that way i think
1: most hunters fisher because you know other side of our company is hunting we do a lot with hunting i think most Hunter and fishermen know what it like. They've at least seen it on an offshore trip.
2: Well, you tell all Gulf. those people that say, "Hi, I'm calling with an inquiry about Frygate Reserve." You need to talk to them. Wow.
1: Well, those are people that don't. <laughs> those aren't our people. You know, you're the fishing exactly. community. We're in the hunting
2: community. I think most people, but in our world, the people that matter, probably the the most painful one. Those those are the ones were just kind of you know sketches, loose thoughts. But the the big one was uh, there was a spot down. In, in Abaco, in the Bahamas, um, and you'd have to drive through the forest for, uh, for about 20 or 30 minutes, this big pine forest with parrots, and you'd get out and you would hike through this unbelievable changing landscape where you'd, you'd walk through the pines and then you would get to once, to what was once a flowing water system. So these, these coral rocks have been smoothed almost into a moon landscape. And then you walk through an area called the coppice, which is um, uh, these hardwoods that are right next to the sea line. So you've got these these beautiful orchids and epiphytes, and it's I mean it's it's kind of like going through a jungle. And there's it's an old pig trail, so you, you see pig footprints, and you know, you go through this, and then all of a sudden you pop out, and you are in this massive horseshoe flats bay. That's one of the most beautiful spots you've ever seen in your life. And it meant something to all of us. It was where we all kind of went to to clear our minds and just you know get alone. And it was called Cross Harbor, and we just had this vision of Cross Harbor Rum, and it, nice. it it was special. So the actual first dime that I ever spent after raising money from Dave and Ralph was to a trademark, patent, name, all that attorney, and I said Cross Harbor Rum. Signed, sealed, delivered. Let's get it done. Here's your check. Make it happen. And they came back and they say you can't do it. We're like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. What? Yeah. And then uh, it was. It was because there was some rum called Cross Keys that oh, I, nobody's yeah. ever heard of. But they they defined it that well since key was kind of a non-important word cross was the important word and and yeah so that was devastating we just Uh, went through all that too and and the things they come back
1: that have both whiskey and whitetails involved and it's like come on yeah come on yeah it's frustrating so if
2: anybody out there from cross keys is listening
3: i hate you screw you
2: (laughs) no i'm just kidding good good name but anyway Um, so back to frigate (laughs) so so you know, we we bounced back and forth through all sorts of things. And again, another one, one of those learning curve things you, you you figure out is that if basically if you come up with a nautical term or something that means something to you, there's some guy out west who's brewing four beers a year in his garage, sells it under that name, and you can't use it. Uh, I mean, I'm I since Don Pancho, I am now fluent in Spanish because I read the Spanish nice. dictionary forwards and back, trying to figure out any words. Still all taken. Um, and we we wanted the frigate bird as the logo very early on, um, but frigate's kind of a harsh word, you know. There's some mispronunciation yeah. things, but for those that don't know, uh, the frigate bird is kind of one of the most uh iconic good omen signs to a waterman. Mm-hmm. Um they're one of only two birds that's uh it's a phrase called on the wing, meaning in flight. Right. They're on the wing day and night. Um I think the other one's a common swift. But what's amazing is this bird It's it's a tropical bird. It's it's not supposed to go in cold weather, yet they can somehow fly above ten thousand feet where it's very cold. And wow. they go out to sea for months. Um, they can never touch. They, they can leave and not touch
1: ground for two months. They, which is fascinating,
2: and they they can't touch the water. Yeah, because they
1: don't have oils. Correct. Which so is it, lets the, which is which let yeah you know. I'm not <laughs> well, for the people that that's what keeps, helps them stay aloft is they're so light. If they exactly. Touch water, they drown. But a, their
2: survival a, a is somehow based being over the ocean. Right. So they go out to sea and they. They can do something that no human has figured out to do. They can read ocean currents based on air thermals above that. So they can figure out where a underwater upwelling is going to lift bait to the surface. And they can come and all they can do is do a basically a, a, a slap with their bill, grab a fish off the surface and keep going. And if, if they miss it by an inch, they miss it by a mile. They hit the water. That's, that's where they die. Um, wow. so what's cool about that and why it's such a an omen to fishermen is you can be out there in a very desolate ocean. I mean, nothing around no land, but if you see that frigate bird and he's in that motion of working something, you know, he knows something that you don't, they'll, they'll follow Marlin, they'll follow bait. And it's just always been one of those iconic things. Uh, and that was always special for us. I mean, there's, there's, something about being a guy that's just drawn to the water where you don't mind going out completely by yourself. And the bird does the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Clint, Clint uh, is very big into this sort of Celtic idea of something called the thin space. Uh, and it's, it's this transitional zone. Um, and it can mean different things to different people, but what he equates it to uh, is... Like the thin space on the water, right where the ocean meets the actual air, and he says, you know, bone fishing—it's—it's it's something incredible because that bone fish tail will breach the breach that thin space in that zone. And uh, he, when he takes people down there to go bone fishing, and you know, it may be their first time, he says, that in that thin space, you lose. Focus on everything else in life, and when that bonefish tail comes up in front of you, and you can see it in people and their and their body language, everything, they're only focused on that, and everything right. else disappears. And that that thin space is, is special. So, when you've got the frigate bird, that survival is based on that thin space, that 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 tiny little area where a bait comes up, breaches the surface, and that that bird can take it, and it just kind of all all came full circle. And um, once we. Once we put it together and said, you know what, forget if somebody can't pronounce it, it will mean more to the people, as you said, those that know it, that it know will it, mean right. more to them. Yeah. And it's it and that's the great. reason
1: I know it is from fishing. We yeah. go offshore in the Gulf specifically and we saw, I mean, we we're out, there's no land to be seen. And um, they, they go out and they throw in those parts of the world, they throw cardboard and trash out there because it attracts bait fish, which attracts bigger fish. But um, just riding around, you see a frigate. And it's like, st- everything stops. Where is he going? What's he looking at? Because they're not just, they're not circling an area for no reason. I mean, they're, they're hunters. And as you said, they can see stuff that we can't. And and that's the reason that I know it. And I know that it's, but that's a great point about that thin space. And it kind of leads into where you are with the rum as well. You're in that thin space between like the mixer junk and, and the stuff that people can't afford to buy. And you're, and you're right there in that thin space where it's delicious rum at great prices, really. Brought to you by Frigate Reserve. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
3: that's it.
1: We get paid to do this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but um. So back to the bottles. We got we got the bottles mostly figured out. Yeah. So so at that point, uh, Oh, one final thing. You know. Again, this was still a relatively small idea. Um, and then come to find out, you can't just make five thousand bottles at a time. Why? Why? Why could you? That would be way too easy. Uh, Glass manufacturing runs in machine time, which is about 48 hours. Turns out 48 hours is about 50,000 bottles. So now now you're stuck with three shipping containers full of bottles. Uh, And (laughs) because we've made this beautiful, intricate, three times as heavy as any other bottle, they're not cheap. So anyone Uh, that bitches about minimum orders, remember
3: this. (laughs) I'll never bitch about a minimum order again. (laughs) That's why I just looked at you i was like, dude. Yeah. 50,000. So, oh, so not only have dangerous. you gone through all the trouble of, of getting to that point, but you have to get a marketing and distribution plan in place to do something with
2: it. Oh, so there's <laughs> there's the next big problem. Uh, turns out distribution is really, really hard. Yeah. And we didn't know anything about it. Um, we thought, hey, it'll be a good run. Somebody will just want to take it. Ooh, boy, were we wrong. Um, for those that don't know, uh, every state has extremely different laws. Uh, and there are many levels of distributors from tiny ones that may only exist in one city to ones that exist across the country. And the problem is the small one may love you and want to work with you and do everything for you. But if you want to go into the next city, you've got to start the paperwork all over again. Yep. And it's very labor intensive, but the big guys, why would they want to talk to you? Right. They're, they're the ones responsible for you being able to buy brand X across the entire country. Yeah. They're, they're not in the business of startups. So that was, that was the next ugh, hurdle to have to deal with. Um, but for a starting point, well, let me back up for one second. Uh, today, people always ask if you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself? And what I say now, and who knows if I'll still say this a year from now, but as of right now, I would say I would go back and tell myself, don't mind the delays. Don't mind the slowdown. While it's terrifying to have, uh, you know, have time always feel like you're just you're running late. Turns out it actually gave the story time to marinate. And so while people were hearing about what we were doing, it 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 was like a it was like a really well kept secret. It's like if you if you found the best fishing hole on the planet, the less you tried to let people learn about it, the more people oh, yeah. are gonna want to learn about we it. Built that's anticipation.
1: Great analogy. It,
2: exactly. And so that's what was happening. And uh you know, most people that are making alcohols in the US they don't encounter problems with taste testings because they make it, they can try it and they can do whatever, but you can't, you can't legally mail this stuff through the postage system. Like it's, you can't do all this. And so to get samples for us, we couldn't FedEx it in. We couldn't DHL it in. We couldn't do any of this because customs and border patrol wants to have a labeled bottle. And, uh, Something that I didn't quite understand. Um, so at the beginning, when I was still living in the states and uh, prior to moving to the Bahamas, the uh, the people in Panama said, "Well, we're, we're going to send you some samples," and I said, "That's perfect." I, I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know. Oh, and this is where we start the hyperbole. No, this this is <laughs> this is okay because okay. <laughs> this the the Customs and Border Patrol alerted me to this, and so um, I get. I, I get a call from a, a guy who's a sounds like a combination of angry, but comical. And he goes, uh, is, this, is this Graham? And I go, yes, can I help you? And he goes, my name's such and such. I'm with uh, Customs and Border Patrol in Florida. And he kind of paused, like waiting for my reaction. And I said, okay. And he goes, did you have something shipped to you from Panama? And I go, yeah, it's, it's supposed to be some rum samples. And he goes, ah. Okay, well, it, at least that lets me know what it is. Uh, and I go, hey, what's what's the problem? And he goes, well, I'm sitting here, and I have a literal shoebox full of unmarked glass containers wrapped in <laughs> bubble wrap with nothing attached to them. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> I don't quite know what to tell you to do with that. I mean, it's just rum, Uh Probably telling you to try it is probably not something <laughs> yeah. you want to hear. But, try it and let me know. But <laughs> do whatever you need to do. I mean, it's it's rum, um, and he's like, "Well, you can't do this in the future." He goes, "So I, I've sent one off to scientists." is uh, literally what he said. He said, "I've sent it off to scientists." Did uh, you get the report back on what they thought? <laughs> no. <laughs> eventually, it showed up, and I mean, he wasn't kidding. It was a shoebox. Wow, and it looked. I mean, it, it wasn't even. It wasn't even like clear packaging tape. It was brown packaging tape. Perfect. It looked like
1: cocaine. Something, out, something <laughs>
3: like cut out of South America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: so I think that I guess that I guess everything that comes from South America is packaged the same way.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so so this was where we we had to figure out how are we going to to get around this, and unfortunately for those. Thinking about going in the alcohol business. There's no rule book. There's no how to start a liquor company for dummies. And I I know that because I Googled it. It does not <laughs> exist. There's there's no fast track. But um, because I was in the Bahamas so much and and living down there, uh, realized there was kind of a loophole where I could I could mail things into the Bahamas in unmarked whatever. They didn't care. You know, they just it said it was alcohol, and I would pay the duties on it. And then I could bring that into the U.S. and say, this is rum I got into the Bahamas. And they didn't care because you were allowed to bring personal consumption things back. Right. So enter the rum smuggling days where um, the first samples, tastes, and all these things skirted a very gray area of, well, it's not, it's not technically wrong, but it's, it's it was the only way to do it. Um, now I don't I don't know what the US laws on volumes were uh I'm guessing an entire deck full of it uh <laughs> running as fast <laughs> as you can and Getting it in as quick as possible. But whatever
3: that limit is, you guys were definitely below we're that. We're
2: definitely below that limit. Yep, yep. Um, but again, there's no set limit that was easy to find. <laughs> um, personal consumption, that's how they defined it. And Oh, you were fine. Well, they didn't
3: justify whether it was a week's consumption or a year's consumption. Yeah. Right? So Just as long
2: as it's personal. Yeah. Which so, it technically was personal in the it beginning. Was. It, it was. I mean, nobody was selling it. But it's, again, very, very weird weird rules to have to this is my favorite part in. of the story <laughs> yeah rum runners uh had a very good friend in the bahamas uh came to my wedding um at a very small wedding in the bahamas but he uh he's a legit a member of the cartel and very nice guy four bullet holes in him uh he watched out for me and we were sitting around just having a beer one day and, and i said uh blank name i said man i'm I'm having this this terrible time I've i've got rum stuck in panama right now and i just I can't figure out how to get it and he goes well i'll get it for you and i go, go get it for me what are you talking about and he goes well shit once i hit jamaica i know where i'm going and i was like you don't have a boat and he goes it's never stopped me before this, this was the story <laughs> and right then i was like oh yeah i'm talking to a guy who you know, is a actual cartel drug runner. And <laughs> once he gets to Jamaica, he knows the route and runs stuff to the Caribbean and then runs it to the States. And that was kind of one of those cool moments of being like, man, you know, I, I'm sure those cocaine cowboy, bu- excuse me, those cocaine cowboy guys at the time just thought they were they were just having another weekend adventure. And this was kind of one of those things where it's like, Nobody will believe this, and in eighty years, when everything's digitized and super boring, they'll be like, "You knew people like that? Like, yeah, yeah I, I was a great friend." So it, i i turned I turned his offer down, as kind as it was. I I figured we didn't quite need to get to that level yet. But Just, just to leave it clear, we can leave all of this in. Yeah. That's, okay. That's fine because <laughs> okay. we didn't no do we anything. We didn't do anything. We haven't done anything. No, we didn't. We didn't do anything with that. And, but that's a, that's an incredible offer. Um,
3: yeah.
1: Um, yeah. But yeah, the nice, early nice packaging, gun. early, the early, um, how long did it take once, once the bottles were made to getting them to being filled, to getting them here?
2: Like, what was that process like? So we started it, circling back to where I diverged very far away was, um, when I said, uh, if I could go back in time and tell myself, letting the story marinate was not, a." was not a bad thing. So through the grapevine, uh, a friend of mine had heard about what we were doing and he brought one of his friends to the table and said, I'm, and I don't know how much of this I'm, I'm allowed to say. um, So I'll probably need to run this by him, but he is on the outskirts of one of Florida's big retail stores. He, is not directly part of the family he's married into it and there's all sorts of laws about what you can and can't do when you're involved in this but he he had heard you know what was going on and uh he said look I, i'd really like to be a part of this and help so we talked and um he said look we, we'd like to be the first ones to be able to carry this so that gave us an opportunity to put it on the shelves. So we were able to launch in at all mostly all the ABC stores in Florida, uh, or blank 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 stores in Florida, if we have to go back and edit that. Um, but that was that was a kickoff point, and it allowed people to taste it and try it. Uh, Now, granted, we're talking a couple hundred bottles of rum while we still had 29,842 still sitting in Panama, Um, (laughs) but it was a start. And uh, that's that's where we were in that distribution fight, trying to find somebody that could take it to the next level. Because Florida is unique that a retailer can work with a single uh, uh distribution point and they can bring it in but that distribution point wasn't trying to sell anywhere else so it was it was just a you know a very quick channel to get to that retail store and most states don't work that way
1: um I've heard Florida has a lot more freedom they, they do
2: they do taxes taxes are high but it's it, it at least facilitates new brand growth yeah uh, which we couldn't have done without that. Um, but then, then we were in that distribution fight, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, find anybody, anybody that will talk to us. And, uh, you know, unfortunately the industry says rum, rum, nobody cares about rum, um, uh, aged rum. Nobody cares. You know, what do, do you make a whiskey? Do you make a vodka? Like, no, we yeah. don't, we make a rum and they just, they didn't care. Um, well, we're converting our followers to, uh,
1: to rum. So, Hey, it's. It may put us out of business, but it'll help you. <laughs>
2: Whiskey and whitetails, I don't know. Whiskey, <laughs> rum, whitetails? Whiskey, anyways. whitetails, and rum. Um, but anyways, uh, and again, I'm, I'm going to need to verify. I can actually, you know, talk specifics here on Well, this, this comes out Monday, so.
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, you haven't said anything uh, name-wise, so I, I think you're probably good.
2: Well, so this, this is, oh, well, this story has been full of one in a million chances. Right. Uh, This is probably the biggest. But um, so this... this I I was living in the Bahamas. uh, Oliver's Lodge, um, his bone fishing lodge there, was being run by this South African guy and his wife. And we had become extremely close friends. And um, he knew the whole story of the rum, all the good and all the bad. And uh, he called one day... And I was off the island. I was I was home for Easter, and and he goes, Hey Graham, I've I've got some guys here that are in the alcohol business. Uh, do you mind if I you know pull the rum out? And I said, Christian, no man, of, of course. You know we're we're an open book. Every, everybody's well aware of uh, all of our all of our story points. And uh, I said, but just out of curiosity, what's his name? And I Google it. Come to find out this guy is one of the most important people in the entire alcohol industry. He is the COO of the largest alcohol distribution company to exist. And I said, Christian, I don't know how to tell you this, but good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Not to put it in your hands, but it's in your hands. So, you know, have fun with it. You know, just just be real. And uh, every day he kind of called me and gave me a little update of, you know, what they talked about. And they, they started with the eight year and then the 12 and the 15 and the 21. And, um, you know, they would go further and further into the story of who's involved and how does everybody fit together and this, that, and the other. And at the end of it, he said, well, Graham, uh, he, he wants to talk to you first thing Monday morning when he gets back his first meeting, 9am, he wants to talk to you. And, uh, I said, okay, fantastic. So I take the call with this guy and nice as can be, we, we, we talk for about an hour and, um, you know, this is probably a good time to address how everybody actually fits into this because I know I'm the one speaking, but I'm, I am, I assure you, I am not the most important person in this at all. Um, so well, to as, us, you are now this is cause I'm here <laughs> and nobody else lives in South Carolina. Um, but you know, I told him and, you know, he said, well, what about, what about your other partners? You know, are, are you running this? Are they running this? And I said, look, the best, the best analogy I can give to describe this is I've got Flip, who's the hammer. I've got Oliver, who's the nail and all the nails. And I've got Clint, who's the lumber. And I'm the guy trying to read the instructions in Chinese, trying to figure out how to build a beautiful house. So, None of this can be put together without everybody. And it it, it truly is a, uh, you know, multiple parts coming together to create a whole. And that's what and, makes a good business, honestly. Well, it's, I mean, it's got stress points, but. For sure. You know, at, at the end of the day, being able to say you made something with some of your closest friends is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, so we go through all that and uh, he says, okay, when can we meet? And I say, well, I'm going back to the Bahamas next week, and uh, he says, perfect. I'm I'm flying in with uh, my buddy Mike Meldman. Uh, do you know who that is? And I go, of course I do. Mike Meldman is one of the three Cas amigos partners, and uh, owns a place called Baker's Bay down there in the Abacos, which is probably one of the most beautiful. Places in the world with, you know, anytime you see a celebrity who's got a Caribbean background and an Instagram photo, they're probably at Baker's Bay. Um, And one of our other equity partners happened to be passing through with his whole treasure hunting fleet. So his big yacht, his support vessel, he had his submarine, his plane, all this cool stuff. A private owned submarine?
1: Yeah, that's dude, a, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's a
3: whole other story.
1: I did not even know that was a thing. <laughs> did you know that?
3: No, <laughs> that's, that's I know, like, research submarines at universities, and we're and gonna do a have. podcast one day about private owned submarines, but just but private for <laughs> treasure hunting. Good God, yeah, sorry,
2: that's another world, <laughs> another world. So uh, we we end up meeting on the back of uh, this other partner's yacht, and. Uh, Flip is there, and Flip and I are pretty impressed with the amount of gadgets and all this. And this gentleman comes down, and uh, there's there's probably six billionaires around us, and it's it's one of the more starstruck things Flip and I have ever sat in. And and uh, this this gentleman, uh, he we've been sipping the rum all night with all these people, and he he somebody goes, you know, hey, well, what are we doing here? and he grabs the bottle and he holds it and he goes well let me let me tell you my name's Brad uh I'm the COO of Blankety Blank and uh I, I pretty much pretty much handle most of it uh it's a family owned business and I'm I'm not in the family but uh you know I'm, I I make sure everything goes smoothly um and I don't get involved in day-to-day businesses. Uh, I don't get involved in startups. It's, it's not my operation. Um, but that being said, every once in a while, I keep my eyes open for things. Um, and he said, so I actually met this rum. I was in Andros on a fishing trip uh, because I got into saltwater fly fishing a couple years ago. So I saw this rum in Andros and didn't think anything of it. And then I had a Yeti catalog show up to my house. And I saw the rum in that. I knew you couldn't buy ad space. And this is probably a good time to mention, you know, Flip and all of his accolades. Flip has known Ryan and Roy that started Yeti since they were boys. Um, He knows their father very well and, you know, hunted with them as kids. Cool. Um, So, you know, very full circle in the outdoor space. And he said, but then I went to Abaco and fished at uh, Abaco Lodge and could not escape this rum. Yeah, and he goes, and I sat around. And he goes, I don't drink rum, but I drink this rum. <laughs> wow. So he holds the bottle up, and he said, "So there's there's three things that I look for uh, in in a product." And he goes, "The first one is the product itself." Uh, and he goes, "Like I said, you've got it. You it's it's fantastic." He goes, "It's but you know lots of people have great products." And he goes, "The second is a story." Uh, and he goes, you know, again, you have it. You're you're the fisherman. You've fought tooth and nail in a business that you know basically chews people up and spits them out all the time. But you know, it's 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 great. It's a great story. And he goes, but again, most people have one and two. And he goes, number three is where everybody just falls off, and it's called accessibility. And he goes, what I mean by that is Louis Vuitton makes a five hundred thousand dollar dress that goes on the red carpet. And nobody can buy it. Nobody can afford it. it goes there, blah, blah, blah. But they make a $500 pair of sunglasses that you can buy and you're a part of the brand. He goes, and you have that. He goes, you've got your aged rum and you've got your young rum and nothing changes. You're still a part of the brand. Yeah. And he goes, so all those things uh, being factored in, uh, I've only done this twice before, Mike. You know, I saw the same three qualities with you in Casamigos. Um, before that, I met a guy selling vodka out of the back of his car by the name of Tito. And I saw the same three things in that. So, oh, Flippin' Graham, if it's okay with y'all, I'd like to take you under my wing and, uh, you know, see if we can make this uh, something special. And Flippin' and I about backflipped off this yeah, yacht. I and bet. <laughs> and that, was, uh, that was the starting point. Um, wow. So, so, then it took a couple months of preparation and... We we were getting ready to launch. We were in Texas. We did our big launch party. We were in the Yeti office, and one of the guys stood up from his desk and goes, "Man, they just canceled South by Southwest over this coronavirus thing." Yeah, and then the world changed. <laughs> so nothing nothing like having your launch party be the uh, the kickoff to a pandemic. So it's uh, <laughs> since then it's it's been it's been going. Uh, and going, you know, we have no metric. We don't, we don't know. Uh, but people in the industry, uh, sales reps and these guys, I mean, they've come over and they said, look, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because we've watched way more established brands than you fall off and somehow you're growing. So whatever you're doing, please keep doing it. It's incredible to see. And going back to the beginning of the story with Clint building his lodge around the idea of. If we make it great, people will make it part of their own story. That's right, and that's all we've done. Everything is a, uh, you know, why is it special to us? If that fits to you, it should be special to you. Right, and we we had this this mantra at the very beginning around that campfire that no matter who we bring in, no matter what happens, if it's not a person that we would feel comfortable pulling a seat up at the campfire. You're not going to be involved, and we've stuck to that the entire time. And so we we feel like every time somebody says, "Man, I love your rum," you know, I, this is why it's special to me. You know, you brought me into a rum world I didn't know. We feel like we brought somebody up to that campfire. Yeah, that's it. And just to circle back on that because it's my favorite
1: story. And again, it's an audio only. So those that don't know, the Louis Vuitton dress is five thousand, or the sunglasses five hundred. They both say Louis Vuitton on them. One is expensive. One is not the frigate reserve rum bottles, all of them are the exact same bottle. The only thing that changes is the label, right? And is this the uh, seal change? It's it, honestly, all that changes is the color of the seal, the color of the seal. That's so, it. So you're buying Whether you buy the $5,000 dress or the $500 sunglasses, you're getting the same look, the same bottle, the same label, just the age statement changes. And, and I guess the seal color.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, we wanted to do that and that was, that was a tough fight. I mean, that's, you know, it's a very difficult thing to, to kind of have a group discussion knowing that, I mean, that the, the bottle cost relative to how much the eight-year costs on the shelf is outrageous. I bet. Nobody would ever do that. Yeah. But for us, it was the the idea that if we changed it and cheapened it, we would feel like, Whoever's buying that feels like they're getting a cheaper version. Yep. And, and they would. We didn't, we didn't We didn't. want that to happen. And because, that's genius thinking. Because there's, there's plenty of people who like the eight-year. Uh, we love the eight-year. I mean, sure. it, it, so there shouldn't be a difference. You know, you should be able to look at it and look at all four years and say, I like what I like, and there's no judgment that should be passed. And it's the... The 21 year, as it progresses back down, so we tried to kind of hit those points where it made drastic changes, and that's why the 15 year and the 21 year kind of are in the same flavor category, and the 12 and the 8 have big jumps going into very much a more Florida Konya flavor. So, I mean, there's plenty of days that I'm in an 8 year mood. Uh, There's plenty of times sitting around having a cigar at a special event, I'm in a 21 year mood. Uh, and we 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 just we got so lucky with Don Pancho that he was able to facilitate that that, that we could do that that's that's incredible
1: and so the 15 we were you, we were talking the 15s like the if if you're going to buy like a hitter and you can and you can afford to splurge for the 15 the 15s like the, the, the f- hitter. the
2: 15 gives you the feel of the 21 year uh and it's it's very close most of the magic happens at around 13 years uh, when you age rum in barrels, that's that's when, I don't, for whatever reason, that's just when the drastic change occurs. Do you know what kind of barrels these are? Are they new barrels? Are they used barrels? So, uh, you know, most people have this conception kind of like whiskey, where whiskey goes into a barrel, sits there for five years and pulls out, ta-da, that's it. Yeah. Rum, rum for this capacity is not like that at all. When, when it gets distilled, you get this massive batch and it gets divided up some goes into a charred whiskey barrel some goes into a raw barrel some goes into a port barrel some goes into a sherry barrel don poncho may get creative and fill one with play-doh for all i know yeah and you know as this stuff ages it gives him these ingredients to play with so you know we may share 90 percent of the same qualities as some of his other rums that he makes but i always use the analogy it's like if you gave Two chefs, 16-ounce uh, porterhouse, and you let them be in charge of spices. If you actually measure it, 99% of what they're serving you is the same thing. It's a, it's a porterhouse. Right. But those little spices change all the flavor, and that's that's what Don Pancho does with with all that magic.
1: So does he treat it not like a Solera, but more or less like a Solera, where it the... Evaporation occurs, and the barrels get smaller and smaller. Does it consolidate, or no. do they stay in that barrel for the entire twenty years? Don't use that s word
2: with us. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is this is this is true, true stuff.
1: It was in there. So when they when they pull it out twenty years later, there's a quarter. It's quarter way full. Yeah,
2: lots lots of angel shares gone. That
1: sucks. That sucks. But which is interesting that it's actually for a twenty one year rum, there are plenty of ten year bourbons that cost t- twice, three times as much. Compared to a twenty-year rum, yeah, those are things I just don't ask questions on. Yeah, that's interesting. It's fa- well, I mean, it's just fascinating as as a. We talk a lot about whiskey and the angel share and how much you lose in a barrel over time, and to
2: think that something sits in one barrel for twenty-one years. Yeah, and you know what's what's scary, and I don't know if I'm violating some sacred wall of alcohol manufacturing. But we won't if, if there were no taxes or all these required distribution channels, if I could sell straight to a customer, you would not believe how inexpensive it is. Oh, I, I, it's, I don't doubt that at all. It's it's quite unfortunate. It's
1: just wild that it can sit somewhere for that long. I mean, for some people, that's a lifetime. You know, we talk about all the time how 10-year bourbon people get excited or they don't get excited at all. They're like, yeah, it's not bad for a 10-year. And it's like, hold on, 10 years. 10 years. So when you when you're doubling that to 20 years, I mean, the guy that put that in the barrel 20 years ago, he may not be alive today, the guy that distilled it. It's 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 wild. It's, it's crazy. It's, to it's incredible
2: about. to think about and and Don Don Pancho has been training an apprentice for what's probably approaching 15 years now. And she will take over all of what he does. And it's it's incredible. I mean, rum is all this guy's done his entire life. It's all he knows. Uh, it's, it's 15 a,
3: years. <clears throat> Sounds like a long time, but the more you learn about the alcohol business, it's. it's I would say it's a blank. It, Someone would need it at least that yeah. long to 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 get the uh, to, to even pick up enough to to pick, to pick up where someone yeah. doing it that long leaves off.
2: And, and there, there's so many humorous aspects to this uh, as as we were going through the the facility and there's a machine that's the size of i mean it's the size of a major wall and it's got all these blinky lights and gadgets and printouts and they were they jokingly were walking us through and i I think it was flip that was like oh what does this do they go oh this machine this just verifies don poncho we try to mess with him (laughs) we we will change it and give him taste and he's like this is wrong and we have measurement to know why it's broken but we tried to mess with him we can't win. We just have a machine to do what Don Pancho does. <laughs>
1: like, that's oh funny. man, that's pretty cool. So we've gone from where you got the juice to where you got the bottles to how we got into the distribution and we kind of stopped at the COVID thing. So you took a hit, everybody took a hit for COVID, but you haven't I guess your grand launch was probably going to be more grand um that ended up being because of COVID. But through COVID, you definitely haven't slowed down, right? You're picking up and stuff's moving
2: forward. No, it's you know, we're we're storytellers. Um, you know, and again, I say this that I am the I am the youngest. I am I am from everybody involved, I'm still learning. I I, I look to them to to learn how to behave, to, to appreciate the world around me. And, you know, when we all get together, I sit back and listen to Clint Oliver and Flip talk. I mean, they're, they're the most incredible people you can, you can meet. So, so really all I am, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy just trying to facilitate what, what I see them doing. I'm trying to quantify and, and, uh, you know, make a, make a set of instructions based on just how they live their life. Um, but, the big thing is, prior to COVID, we talked to people. We got to sit with yeah. them. We got to give them room. We yeah. got to bring them into our world. That's been virtually impossible in yep. COVID, uh, and that's that's been tough. So, uh, you know, we've we've had to rely on on other ways of doing it. And I mean, social media it it can it works to a degree, but you know, flip is super funny and and loves playing practical jokes and and being humorous and stuff and uh you know we'll get every once in a while we'll get somebody that will just you know send a inquiry into our website about something and you know i will be sitting there drinking rum with flip and flip will call the guy and say you know hey frigate uh hotline support i hear you have a question <laughs> and, and you know this is a guy flip has such an iconic voice and they're like this is, is this is this flip palette and he goes, <laughs> yeah you have a question and to to listen to these people uh it's those are the little things that have made it stand out now i i will advise all of your listeners if you if you have a problem we're probably the worst company to vent that problem to uh because we don't we're a small business and if somebody's package arrived six hours late and you want to call and scream at us, we're not going to take that very well. We've uh, we've written some some very nasty email responses back, but it's uh and it's just us again, <laughs> circling back to how much fun is it to have your own company and something I didn't get to tell you about, but on the bottle you saw those initials stamped in the back and people always ask us and uh, this is probably the first time I've ever actually sent it anywhere. You know, knowing that Clint had a bottle that he found that was from the sixteen hundreds, we figured how cool would it be if somebody found this hundreds of years after oh, us? Yeah. So we put all of our initials on the back. And it was Graham Ralph Dave flip Oliver Clint. And that's that was the starting point on it.
3: We that's cool.
2: We hit a couple other things on there that I'll save for my uh my revisit on the next one, but that's a that's probably the first big secret I've ever released about it.
1: Oh, that's awesome!
2: I uh, I don't know that I've
1: ever. I mean, I've noticed it, but I don't. I figured it was a branding mark. I didn't think that it was. Is there stuff hidden behind the label? Because now I got to go peel labels off. Hey, that's that's your adventure. to all figure All right, out. I'm gonna have an adventure now because I got several <laughs> bottles in there to figure it out. On. Are they all this? I guess they're all the, They're all labeled the same. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna start hitting you up like at four in the morning. But I can't
3: sleep. What does this mean? <laughs> Mm. i I drink two bottles so I could see through without peeling it off first <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but
1: we we totally get the um the customer service side yeah. our customers are the majority of them have had uh issues with shipping which is not our fault you know it's 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 out of our hands but I don't think that anybody that Follows us and and listens is, is going to give you any shit for anything like it's yeah mo- most people, people just don't people. get how tough it is yeah they don't but I think a lot of it's it's a small business you know if, if you want perfection you know order from Papa John's and, and hope for the best but and but you know we
2: we have we have used a phrase very similar to that and um we've actually only had one horrible guy and we there's not enough time to read through the whole email chain but <laughs> Bob you know who you are and, asshole. Uh, And yeah, Bob, Bob, it ended up being okay. Bob made a a big apology, but it's just like, Bob, who do you think you are? I mean, this is really hard. We're trying our best, and I'm sorry your rum showed up two weeks late for something that had to go through a distributor and shipping and all this. But, you know, it's tough, and it's, hey, there's a pandemic going on. Yep. It's tough for us. It's tough for everybody, but it's it's definitely
1: tough being a small business with just a, a couple of guys or like we have three of us involved or, and you have four or five involved, but it's, it's like to, to handle everything that comes through the door in the same, like we try to be as professional and as nice and as quick as possible, but, but there's a lot of things that are just out of our control. But luckily for you, once they get it and same for us, once they get our product and they start making cocktails or drinking it, uh, all that kind of goes out the window. Yeah. There's a reason we have a lot of Five star reviews is because I, I have a feeling people get it I'm like, let me try this thing out. Let me try it again. Let me try it. And then before you know, it, like, oh, these fucking guys, let me get out.
2: <laughs> we, we eliminated the review process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep good. your opinions to yourself where they belong. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: excellent. Yeah, it's probably a smart move.
2: <laughs> so we have two, I have two
1: more um, things I want to ask. One, what is the, f- not necessarily like, what's the future of your company? That's not what I mean. But where do you see yourself? Evolving or changing to not necessarily getting into more stores, but um, I'd guess it'd be something along the lines of being able to talk to people again and being able to have these events and and share your product and your story. But but what do you? What's your goal now? Now that you're kind of like you're not really on a cruise control, but you're getting close. What's your goal?
3: I,
2: uh, you know, I, this this rum it just means something special to. To everybody involved in a different way. I mean, Clint. Clint is. I mean, he's the rum shaman. I mean, this. This is it. So you know, here's a guy that has done many different jobs. I mean, he he brought Skechers shoes to market. Was the cigar guy, as I told you about. He started a church for people that didn't like church, and now he's a bone fishing lodge owner. This, this, this guy. This guy is. He has the ability to jump from inspiring people in this way to this way to this way to this way, and here's just another thing: he he gets now to have a brand that's his own to say, "I told you rum was great." Here, try a great rum for Oliver. You know, here's something that you know he he gets he gets to have. I mean, it's this: the the business potential is gigantic, and Oliver was the one that changed the direction at that first conversation. Find somebody who's good at it. Well, let's see if they'll help us out. I mean, that's that was one of the most pivotal moves, even right. though it was one sentence. Oliver changed the course of the entire thing. And for Flip, I mean, Flip has lived ten lives. Over I, this, this guy has done everything, been everywhere. He's inspired generations to go outdoors. And you know, at some point, you have to say, "Well, what's left?" And you know, here it turns out that you know rum having been so important in his life he gets to leave a rum legacy behind and it's incredible and for me uh, you know being the the youngest of the group this gets to be my i did it um so it's it's special for everybody and you know what's what's interesting about all that none of that really matters how the sales do we we've never cared about the rum sales it's it was more does somebody drink it and hear the story and say I didn't even know I had a hole in myself that needed to be filled, but that filled it, and that's that's it. That's it for all of us. It's it's making that one person feel something special, and I'll I'll go back to Clint for something that he did that uh, opened my eyes to how important this could be. Um, when he would have all these very type A wealthy people come down to this lodge and go fishing. Lots of these guys hadn't relaxed in could be 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I mean, who knows the last time they actually relaxed. But Clint did something very powerful, and I must have watched it happen a 100 times, where he would watch these guys push them around, and they'd see a bonefish or a permit. And these guys would make a cast. They'd catch their first bonefish, catch their first permit, their biggest, their whatever, whatever it was. And they'd be all jacked and you could you could see them and they were just so excited and they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And Clint would stop the boat. He would push the big push pole into the into the mud and he'd stop the boat. He'd pull a flask out, and at the time it was that pirate. It was the pirate cask. And he'd hand it to him and he'd say, I just want you to slow down, take a sip of this, and just relax, feel the sun, smell the sea, and just Take what just happened and just enjoy the moment. And I'd watch these guys. And, I mean, again, their shoulders would be almost up to their ears. And you could you could see their heart beating out of their chest. And five minutes later, they'd sit there with that flask. And their shoulders would drop. Their breathing would slow. And, you know, fast forward a couple days to when these guys mm-hmm. were getting ready to leave. And they were hugging Clint goodbye. And they'd say, I just want you to know. That was one of the most impactful moments I've had in the last time I can remember in life. And that was, that was kind of a cool moment of realizing rum is a catalyst. It's, yeah. it's, it's a way to you know, bring you to where you are right now. Absolutely. And um, you know, that's, that's something that, going back to your, your question of where do we see you're going, it's, it's bringing people to that moment now. You know, yeah. smell where you are, feel where you are. Where are you right now? Who are you with? The people you're with, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so we'd like to get back to that. But honestly, if if we're only able to do one person a month, it doesn't matter. We're still able to do it. Right. And in a non-corona world, if it was 10,000 people a month, we'd find a way to do it. It's sure. just, it's, it's, that's it. That's all it is. It's just, it's finding a way to get people to experience that, wow. That's it.
1: And that's such a beautiful thing to think about. Just because I feel like most of us rush through life. We're always trying to get to the next thing and work harder for the next thing. But to take those moments where you just sit down and you just appreciate what you have. And that's something that we haven't done since we started this company. This company's done exceedingly better than what we thought it would do um, once we kind of launched online. And, and it's neither of us have really sat down and been like, you know what? I appreciate where we're at.
3: Yeah, I hear it too. <laughs>
1: yeah. There's a maybe they won't hear it. But um but yeah, it's to be able to take those moments and just really look at it and be like, this is where we're at, this is what we're doing, and just kind of relax and enjoy it. And that and that's one of the things that we do with these podcasts, and we love talking to people and it's the podcast is supposed to share knowledge. So we don't know how many people you're reaching right now, but they're hearing the story and they're hearing your story, and it's important. And uh the people that aren't listening to it, they fucked up, you know. So, our, my final question is: uh, I need you to tell me, have you ever hunted a whitetail deer? Yeah, yeah, of
2: course. Tell me your best whitetail deer hunting story. I'll tell you what would be another another of those life changing moments. So, I used to deer hunt around here way more frequently, and it was the you know it was the typical in certain counties. You know, grab a rifle, climb a tree over bait or other counties, you know, over a food plot, climb a tree, grab a rifle and, you know, shoot a, shoot a deer at a long distance. And, you know, that was it. And I just, it just never did much for me. Um, It was always, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to have an animal that I can eat. That's exciting. But it just, it just, it just. It, it, I like to be so much more connected to stuff and especially being a, a fisherman that likes to see what I'm casting to, you know, I don't, I don't like, I don't like throwing a fly to a school of fish. I like throwing a fly to one fish, seeing his eyes and knowing that I tricked him. That just, that's what does it for me. So we're also bow hunters. <laughs> so that's my next, that's my next yeah, hobby I knew that story. I'm getting into. But, um, but that, that wasn't something that I did when I was younger. I just, I didn't know anybody, but, insert flip palette, uh, as, as anybody that knows flip flip is one of the most grand outdoorsmen that's, that's around. And, uh, flip got me into air boating, which is a completely Whoa. different world. Uh, and here, he helped, sorry. Well, he helped me get an airboat to take over to the Bahamas and that was a different world. And then hurricane Dorian, besides ruining all of Abaco, also took the airboat out, blah, blah, blah. But then coming back, Flip opened up the world of being around where he lives in Florida and going on the airboat and going hunting there. And this was my reinvigoration of actually liking, liking to hunt because now you're you're running an airboat through where the St. John's River originates. And you're going into what can have 15 foot river height changes based on rainy season and dry season wow. and these old what are Indian hammocks. I mean these these islands in the middle of this marsh system that you know you look down and you've got arrowheads and clay pottery and wow. fruit trees and wow. I mean it's it's you're in Indian world and you're there and being able to walk through these areas and uh, I mean places that you can you can smell that the hogs have been there and and seen them and and getting to be involved in that sort of intimate hunting it's it's totally different yeah. uh, they were sitting in a deer stand elevated and hundred and fifty yard shot It just it didn't do it for me, but sitting on the ground and having a you know a small doe walk by at four yards and eat flowers in front of you. That's incredible. That's that's yeah. what it's about. Yeah. And Flip is very much an Indian. And that's it's just kind of how he is. And that that's the new world that I'm going into. So I have seen and been connected to more whitetail stories just being an airboater in Florida for the past year sure. than I ever did sitting in deer stands yeah. on food plots. We so, need to go with you on an airboat. We should do recurve bows. I got an old Fred Bear in there that I want to use. I uh, flip is now bringing me into this. I just got an old Herders. There you go. But I'm unfortunately I'm right-handed, left eye dominant, so uh, this is going to be a lot to of, learn. A lot of fun. You have the backyard to practice though. You got space.
1: That's all. So, so have you? Uh, did you harvest it? Or did oh, I just did it on accident? Kill. Did you kill a deer uh, from an airboat?
2: Not yet, but it, that's the uh, goal. No, you know, again, I, I I don't know if that's how I would set it. Going out and just just getting to be a part of something where people aren't around. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I we watched. I, I had my wife with me on the airboat last time, and you kind of have to sit out on the edge of the land. You can't actually be on the land, so you're you're in, you know, what's considered the public area. But you know, we sat there and we watched a bobcat on the edge in the cabbage palms for an hour and a half, and you know my wife she was like oh this is amazing i can't wait for a deer to come out and then afterwards i said honey you know I, <laughs> you didn't realize this but with that little bobcat sitting there for an hour and a half there was no deer anywhere near yeah. but, <laughs> no. but anyways it didn't matter it no. didn't it didn't matter you know you know down there you have so many hogs that you can hunt and the last the last pig i shot down there was was probably 4 yards and that's, that's incredible. That's, yep. that's you, you realize you're taking a life at that point yep. and it's, you're not a, an assassin at 150 yards. It's,
1: and that's, just, that's a big thing with, with whiskey and whitetails. When we started this company, we had a company that focused on hunting and, and more or less, I don't want to call it trophy hunting, but hunting and the kill. And this is not, that's a, that's a tiny buck, but that actually has a story. That's the only reason that's on the wall, but this has a, um, this company was never about that. We never wanted to be about, we don't post kill pictures. We post deer living. We, it's the same thing with your fishing, sit around a campfire talking. It's the same thing with us. Our, ours is just at a hunt club. And so a lot of the stuff that we do is at a hunt club spreading the good word.
3: It's that, it's that point, It's that point when you're with, with, with buddies at deer camp or at hunt camp or um, and it's after the hunt's done. Whether you've killed the biggest buck of your life or you just watched a bobcat or a coyote for an hour and you didn't see a deer all day or all weekend. It's that moment when you're in the clubhouse or you're around the fire sharing a whiskey, or sharing a rum, uh, swapping stories, enjoying that time and that fellowship and that camaraderie. That's, that's what made us want to start whiskey and whitetails. And I think that's similar to what you guys were. The campfire. Exactly. So it's, I, I love it. I think it's, um, I think having a, uh, a personal, um, meaningful, relatable reason why and around the company or that you build or a brand that you build, uh, is, is very important. It's the
1: same thing with the, with the whiskey industry going to distilleries and you talk about the different mash bills and the aging and, and how these things come to happen. None of it's about the best pour. None of it's about the best kill. It's 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 all about community, friendship, and getting to know people. That's one of the reasons we have a podcast. We don't come on a podcast and talk about the biggest buck we kill. We talk about the deer we saw chasing, or the buck we saw chasing a doe, or we talk about a little fawn we saw that was stumbling around like a little puppy dog. Like, those are the stories that we tell, and, um, and that's the point of the company. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted you to have you on here, because... It's the exact same thing. You're in a fishing industry, in um, an alcohol industry, and we're and we're in a hunting and a, and a whiskey industry. And It's really enjoyed this conversation. I'm excited for the next one. Yeah, we um, left out like 600 stories. Dude. I know, I know you have so many stories yeah. to tell.
3: As, as you were telling some of those stories, I was like, this this is starting to sound like one of those uh, those podcasts that you hear that. They're released one time and it's like a six part series. You know? yes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm
2: I'm throttling a lot of this back. There's there's still a lot. I'm I'm frantically trying to think in my head. Wait a minute. Can I go this direction? Can I not go this direction? There's, sure. Well, there's there's a lot left out. Why don't you get approvals
1: and anything you need approval for, and then we'll have you back and we'll we'll talk about some of the more nuances with it.
2: We just need to do this in in a foreign country where rules don't apply.
1: Yeah, we, yeah, I mean, we, we could do definitely that say that we're <laughs> in another, we're, we're on a private
2: island somewhere.
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, is there anything that you want to say to kind of close it out? Where, what states are you in? Do you know? For, of course, I know. Okay, I just check
2: in. <laughs> what sort of question. You said is you that? don't know metrics, so I don't know if you knew all no metrics or, or some. Or, yeah, we're in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Illinois, and Texas. Um, and if you want a bottle of frigate... And oh, and and we're in another super gray area where we've got a uh, online shipping for as as long as that's going to last. Tell them where they can get that from. It's our website If You go on there, and and if you can't get it,
1: um, you might know a couple of guys that could probably help you get some. So, okay, Graham, we super appreciate this. The conversation, the twenty-one year you brought that you said was only for special occasions. Yeah, you brought it, it for us as a special occasion to us. Uh, We appreciate you taking the time to come. And for anybody that wants some, he told you the website to go to and we told you how to get it. If you can't get it there,
3: we'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. And we're going to promote the hail
1: out of this and we'll make sure we send it to you. So uh, we'll leave it to you for final
2: closing thoughts, Greg. You know, I guess I don't, I mean, there's, there's not too much to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those, those stressful things where day in and day out, kind of feels like a disaster, right? I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) yeah, it's tough. It's hard. You know, I can't tell you how many times we've, we've been sitting there and been like, oh my God, this is the best day ever. And then three hours later, the phone rings and something happens and it's like, we're, well, it's over. Yeah. And it's, it's probably happened a half dozen times. Um, and I, I always joke with people that if, if you're a statistician, we're the most average company ever. I mean, we just we we just net out to nothing. It's just it's straight line. But if you actually look at the data points, we are the most volatile thing that's ever occurred in the history of mankind. We have these super high highs and these super low lows yeah. and sometimes they move at the speed of light and fast enough to pull your hair out. Um and it's it's funny there's there's you know a handful of people who have been fully involved in this from the beginning, and it's it becomes comical to a degree i mean when when their phone rings at you know ten p m they don't know if they're getting "Hey, oh my God, you're not going to believe what happened or we're
1: billionaires or shut it down, it's all done <laughs> like it's yeah. over
2: and so I guess the the kind of closing thing would be. If anybody out there is thinking of doing this, don't do your research. Because if you <laughs> did, there's a zero percent chance you would actually take that leaf of <laughs> leap of faith and yeah. jump off the cliff. Just just do it. If if you think it's gonna work, do it. And don't ever lose your your focus of what do you want it to be, what do you want it to feel like. And keep that clint style of your mind of. If I build it right, it's going to work. You believe if,
3: if you believe in it.
2: If you believe in it, but if you try to start, you know, sacrificing little pieces here and there. If you if you say the bottle's too hard, I've got to you know let's just skip it. Let's let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that, and you lose your personality. You're just you're just one more one. But make sure you have the support group of guys that you know we're all a part of to make it work because again I cannot stress this enough this is not mine this is not anybody else's individually this is the culmination of everybody bringing their own piece to it and mm-hmm. if one of those pieces didn't exist this whole thing wouldn't exist so always always be careful when you're when you're building something like that and yeah. make sure it's right and if you got a good product make sure it's on fishing boats uh in the Bahamas yeah, <laughs> yeah. Always abide by all law enforcement protocols. Yes. <laughs> so to make it special, uh,
1: uh, rum, rum. So just cut, cut that in. I like drinking. I like drink rum.
3: <laughs> well, I got Maybe I can find another version. I'll find another version. See if I can cut it in here.
1: Not just throw the word rum on top of whiskey.
3: Okay. Rum. rum. So you say rum. We'll, we'll use your voice. Rum.
1: There we go. That's it. Thanks everybody.